Hey everyone, it's Keith here with Sweat the Details. Thanks for joining us for another episode. It's been a busy week here at Nest. We released a special episode just two days ago. A conversation between Jim, Jonathan, and me chatting about a new partnership between Nest and At Properties out of Chicago. Jim and I were able to catch up with Izzy Roman the next day for this episode. When we have a chance to catch up with economists, we do our best to get these conversations pushed out more quickly, and hence you're getting this in your hands Thursday morning. They are still up to date. Issy is the founder of Metrosite, a consulting firm in the urban economics research space, and he was previously with the industry giant Trulia, and we're excited to be able to get together with him and talk about our current national economic climate. Thanks again for everybody for listening and sharing our podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have any questions, feedback, or a guest suggestion, please email us or just record a voice memo on your phone. Send it off to us at sweatthedetails at nestrealty.com. Hope you enjoy today's episode. This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details, sitting here with uh, Keith Davis from Nest and Issy Roman. Um, Issy, if you don't mind, just give us a little bit of background on who you are and, and what you're up to. Um, I'm a PhD economist. I love cities. I studied economics to be able to, to understand cities, how they work, how they function. Most recently, I've been in the housing space. Uh, I worked as Trulia's chief economist and beforehand as, as BuildZoom's chief economist. That's a startup that helps people find contractors. And I currently <laughs> own my own consulting firm, Metrosite, uh, doing work for both public sector bodies and startups in the research for publicity space. Very cool. So since we have you on, on, the, on the line and we're, uh, this is you know, late May, um, would you say we're, we're, are we in a depression or a recession or neither or both? I, I don't think we're in one quite yet, but we yeah. have good reason to think that we're going to be in a depression for the next few years, uh, is, is my take on it. Um, we've lost 30 odd million jobs in this country in the last couple of months. And I don't see any scenario in which all of those come back. I think the, the, some sizable portion won't. And those people who do return to work are likely to find themselves in gig economy type jobs or, or less secure type jobs. And I think we're going to have an issue that lasts a decade um, to fix, if not more. see what's, I mean, we're watching and we, everybody feels it, right? Everybody, we're looking at weekly numbers. We're looking at, at new jobless claims. And it's clear that we're seeing exactly what you're pointing at, the 30 million lost jobs. And, and we talk frequently about the fact that unemployment is the number one factor that will drive housing demand over, you know, within any community. How is it that we've managed to lose 30 million jobs? We've managed to shut down the economy in large part for the last 10 weeks. Um, and yet we're seeing equity markets that are barely responding to what is actually taking place. And what we know is pretty much a guarantee for at least the next six to nine months, correct? How is, how is the equity market ignoring that fact? The equity market is tricky um, because it's largely algorithmic at this point and because it, it, um, it looks towards making a profit from, from often short-term movements and it just behaves differently than we might picture it. There's not some trader there asking, you know, what is sentiment? Will things be good or bad? Should we get in or out of stocks? There are small detailed trades that, that traders or, or machines consider and they add up to something, and that's what we see. But sh shifting this to a different part of your question, I'd ask you this. If you have just lost a job, and you are in a month-to-month -month rental contract, and today is the third of the month, 
Should we see you uh, bailing out and not paying your rent by the fourth of the month? Probably not. You know, if you've paid 20, if you paid a month forward, one day isn't going to make a difference. And we're, we're kind of in that scenario in the sense that those people who are unemployed are being helped by unemployment benefits at this point, at least at large. Many of the small businesses that have suffered have, have been helped by the PPP program and are able to pay wages for a while going forward. But these things are going to run out. They're, they're going to last a certain limited period. And at its end, if people aren't back in jobs and earning money, they will be less able to pay for housing. There, there's just no way around that. What, are the, what would you say are the, like the top, top three or bottom three impacted sectors that we're going to be looking at the next you know, one to two years uh, for what we're, what we're about to go through? So there are sectors that have been immediately affected by, by the pandemic itself and people's fear of going places and, and the shutdown that formalizes that. Those are the travel industry, uh, the hospitality industry. Um, colleges are going to be affected um, down the line as students are, are, are fearsome of traveling. Um, retail is, is largely affected. The types of jobs that aren't affected are around those services that are essential. So, so supplying people with food uh, and around those services that can continue functioning even as everything is sheltering, um, everyone and everything is, is happening from home. Basically, people who have office jobs and can, can work using telecommunications aren't as affected. I think gradually we're going to shift from a situation where the hit is more focused on those sectors to a situation where there's a more general um, reduction in demand, just the number of people who are out of work or who can't spend as much or who are cautious and therefore spending less and, and businesses doing likewise in terms of investments and such, um, that there'll be a general reduction in demand. And then what happens is the pain is spread out across the entire economy. It's, it's, uh, it's a shade duller, but it's a whole lot broader. When when you're saying that it's it it spreads out, you're just you're referring to the fact that even those who are still employed, the general the general need for that that service, whatever that service may be, begins to get hit, even if it is a essential area. Is that generally what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. I think I think um, basically the, the amount of demand for any good or any service is going to be lower as a result of a lot of people unable to to consume in general, and a lot of caution on the part of businesses and people who are employed and are functioning. What? How then would that impact? You know, economies like the U.S. Obviously, we have relied for long term uh, in imported goods and services, but we also, whether education is you know our greatest export, or entertainment is our greatest export, or sports is our greatest export, um, do we become more? internally reliant upon goods and services is is the international trade breakdown start to maybe in some ways advance you know put the u.s in an advantage because we do have the capacity to manage much of this internally or is that something that that is just going to become more supply chain you know break is that i mean obviously we're seeing it within certain food services the the meat production is being halted across the u.s i mean there are obviously immediate issues but do we have the ability to you know jumpstart that and, and maintain it internally or does that become part of the the casualty as well well for, for a start i don't know that international trade is breaking down yet i think shipments of goods have have continued throughout uh this pandemic and uh in fact in some at some points there were even uh 
rising prices in terms of, of shipping rates. None of that's happening yet. What, what is at stake right now is that countries uh, have, have halted um, the shipment of people, travel across countries, and that there are signs of uh, you know, the, the, the trade wars we've been hearing about with China for the last few years escalating and countries trying to deglobalize, making sure that they produce things only at home and perhaps down the line, putting barriers up against uh, certain types of imports in order to support industries happening um, within their confines. That is probably uh, not a great thing in terms of our prosperity. It means that, you know, if there were economies of scale from producing something globally, and now that thing is only going to be produced locally within a nation, it can't be produced as well or as efficiently as it could at a larger scale. It means that countries are going to try doing things where they don't have a relative advantage. And basically, the, adv the huge advantages of trade are going to, um, to, to, to not be used, to not be benefited from. Um, in, in some respects, there are advantages here. I mean, do, do you want your, uh, your crucial, essential defense industries to be uh, owned by or, or, or produced elsewhere? Probably not. And it might be a good thing to have that at home. Um, but all, all in all, it will probably not have good effects on us as consumers. It'll mean that certain things will be more expensive. We, we've enjoyed the fact that everything is quote unquote made in China for the last 25 years in, in cheap prices. And that, that could end if, uh, if, uh, deglobalization kicks in. Well, sounds super fun and exciting. Um, it should be an interesting few years. Um, which which, comp which companies would you say are best poised to weather this? I mean, is it is it is it, is it global companies that that are you know, spread across the the world, or is it local companies within the U.S. that are stronger and better positioned for the future? Well, the way I think about it is, you know, if if we have a period now uh, where things are shut down because of the pandemic, the ability to weather this, the ability to hold one's financial breath as you can't work and operate, really depends on how deep your pockets are. Your typical small mom and pop owned small business, maybe a restaurant, has uh, doesn't have the deep pockets that that a business like Google or Apple or or I don't know uh, Citibank might have, uh, and and it's questionable whether they can make it through two or three months of of not operating, let alone a year or two. Those three companies and companies of that caliber have much deeper pockets, and the government has even deeper pockets, uh, and 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 they can withstand this um, this kind of holding of financial breath. The question then becomes, what parts of the country have their employment more reliant only on these, or more on these deep-pocketed employers? And there you'll find that different metro areas fare differently. Uh, a place like Vegas is very um, tourism-heavy and has a much greater need to hold its breath, regardless of how large its businesses are. A place like New York City or the Bay Area is more focused on larger firms that have deeper pockets and can expect a greater share of its employment to persist no matter how long um, companies have to hold their breath. Do you think this is going to be, I mean, I, I hear you, what you're saying about the big cities better, you know, they're better positioned with, they have the, the Googles, you know, as the str strongholds in the, in the foundations. Might this be an opportunity for these big companies to shift out of these urban centers to places where real estate is less expensive? Uh, I, I think these companies are going to go under change or going to undergo changes that are much broader uh, in terms of who they apply to. I think in general, every type of work that is currently physically concentrated in an office for need, for reasons that are uh, to some extent traditional 
is going to see an accelerated pace of change. We're really going to have to ask ourselves, what are the key benefits that we get from congregating in one space face to face with other people? And are those benefits enough to justify paying the greater cost of, um, you know, our, our, our office rents? And I, I don't think it's obvious what the answer is. I think a lot of firms will come to realize that they can save on real estate costs by, by relying on a more distributed workforce, basically having people finance their own home office, uh, even if that's a bedroom or a dining room table. But I also think that we're right now enjoying the fact that we all know each other uh, from our jobs and we're all familiar with each other and, and, uh, and have what's called that, that human capital with each other and are able to bank on that. I think as companies start hiring new people, uh, and as just time goes by and we become less familiar with one another outside of our Zoom appearances, we're going to start realizing that the challenges of, of working remotely in a way that we don't yet two months in. I think there, there are benefits to things that can only happen in person that, that uh, we're going to start missing. It is interesting. I mean, as we've, as we've looked at our own production output, you know, just on a personal level, we certainly looked at the first week and we said, yeah, everybody is hard at work. They're doing their best to do everything. But there is a question of how long can you maintain the high output when you are isolated in your in your job and very siloed in, in understanding its impact with the rest of a large organization. Um, there's a part of me that feels like when this is over, I'm going to be perfectly happy working from home in large part, maybe not every single day, but three days a week. I think I'd love to have this, isol- you know, the, the quiet solitude of being able to get work done. But I, but I agree with you that there is a, there's a human capital side that we're not benefiting from when we're not with one another. We're not, we're not doing that. So, you know, in terms of if, if we're in a long-term prolonged recession, um, if, if, companies are now looking at ways to decrease. And as you said, real estate is one of those costs that companies will be looking to to carve out of their of their budgets. What does that mean for the office space? What is, you know, you've spent most of your economic career within the real estate market or a large part of it within the real estate market. How does this impact rents? How does this impact um, asset utilization in terms of the type of asset that it's becoming? How does that, how do we start seeing shifts within the cities and within the suburban areas? Well, for for a start, I think the scenario that you're describing where you'd be working at home three days a week and and going into the office another day or two is an important one because what that means is you're probably going to be much more tolerant of a longer commute on that one or two days. And I think that opens up possibilities for people to be willing to live farther out than they would be otherwise. And that's basically what's called a, a, a centrifugal force. It allows parts of the city that are closer to the periphery and farther from from the center um, to be more attractive to people to live in. And and it's a force that promotes sprawl in that sense. Now, what does this mean for for different types of office space? My best guess is that we're going to see kind of uh, two types of shifts. Um, The one is that that there might be more demand for office space in parts of the city that are uh, more remote. Um, we might st- we might see more need for offices that are closer to where people have moved to live. Um, we might also see that that at the other end, office space that is more of a let's call it a trophy space is. Um, l- let me let me start over as I as I collect my thoughts on this. Um, yeah. 
I, th I think I think we're going to see two two things happening. The first is that certain types of office space are going to survive this in the sense that they send off some signal. They're they're what I think of as trophy spaces. Think about your Park Avenue Manhattan address. Companies will continue um, renting out that space, using that as their office, having some notional staff work there in order to be able to 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 keep that prestige and keep that association with with those places. And I think as people's tolerance for commutes increases, um, it won't be as hard to get those spaces uh, to continue to be used. The spaces that will suffer on the other end are those lower end office spaces that are borderline attractive even pre-pandemic and um, just, just won't find the user base in this age of reduced need for office space. And those places are going to be the prime places that might be uh, repurposed for for residential use, uh, and and most likely that'll be that'll be um, probably denser uh, residential use than you see around them. So it's interesting, is it? You know, when we were speaking earlier, you said that your your PhD was really because you love the city. That um, in some sense, I would imagine there's a fair amount of demographic work you've done in that's related to the economics of of the urban life. We have seen for the last 15, 20 years, a resurgence of the city, of a return of really a wide swath of age groups, but in large part, the younger working classes is moving back into the city and wanting to be a part of a you know, lifeblood of, of city life. How does this impact them? I mean, is it, are you, are you envisioning that people with children are at a different um, rate of hitting that centrifugal force or people without children? Or is there, are we now looking at kind of the baby boomers moving out of the city faster? Is it, or is there, is it really just too early to figure out what that demographic shift might look like now? Well, I mean, the, the short is no, nobody knows, right? We're talking in future tense where yep. we're two months into this and not that much happens in, in, in two months. My best guess is this. I think, I think the current, uh, let's call it fear of the city or fear of density is going to be short-lived. Short-lived, not in the two, three-week sense, but in the two, three-year sense, maybe a bit longer than that. And, and, and I think that reason to shift to the suburbs will, um, will seem like the important one for the next few years, but probably won't be the one that survives in the long run. Okay. I do think that um, the ability to work from home more of the time in some, in some hybrid way that probably means uh, something along the lines you were describing, uh, fewer days per week, is probably something that's going to persist. I also think we'll see a mix of companies that are entirely remote and some companies that insist on, on staying all in the office. Um, but all in all, that reduces the need for, for office space and that allows for this um, movement outwards. Um, I think that a lot of what has been driving the movement towards um, urban walkable areas has been a change in tastes, a preference for an urban lifestyle. Um, and I think because that's what's drawing people to the center, uh, not just uh, employment, that is actually likely to persist once this, this fear of density goes away. I, I don't think we're going to see the end of this uh, um, revival of the center of town. I think, I think that will persist. If anything, um, I think the fact that, um, you know, I'll, I'll stop there. I, I think I think it's likely to persist um, even in the long run. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's good. I think that from a, you know, from my role being predominantly residential real estate, you know, I think it's, I, I've always framed it more of people want to be close to stuff. 
you know, whatever that stuff is that's that's important to them, they want to be a close proximity. But I think that we might see, a, if we're you know, talking projection, more of a shift towards the exurbs and and those growing up, and so make, people making longer commutes to their you know, to their to their workspace. Um, you know, I heard. You know, I think that it's. I do. I, I do think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with those. You know, the the marginal commercial spaces, because I think that those are uh, it's going to be a real shift in how those spaces and land is allocated. I mean, in in Charlottesville, where we are, there's one mall, you know, sort of strip mall um, that's been you know underutilized, and they have made proposals over the years to build on top of that, to to make that space residential above it, or even convert some of it to residential. So I think that that's sort of the re- repurposing project we might see more of uh, as. I won't say as this thing goes on, but as we all evolve going forward, um, and that could be one of those one of the positives that comes out of this. I, I think that's definitely true. I think that's going to be the most pronounced in the expensive coastal cities. So, in, in those places that are currently seeing a housing affordability crisis, um, you're going to find that the big reservoirs of, of land for suddenly building uh, new housing come from retail and from office space, um, and 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 the reduction in the value of using those spaces for those two uses is going to help this. I think in other parts of the country, think about your Atlantas and your Houstons and your, your economically healthy but sprawling cities, those effects might be more limited to areas that are near the center. And that, that might be the case for Charlottesville as well. So, Izzy, I, I guess the, the question I'm just thinking about is, is all, of, is all of what we're experiencing as a nation right now and this collective change in our mindset – is this changing the way we use real estate or is it simply accelerating a trend that would have taken place already, but now we're just going to see it appear in within two years instead of within 10? It's impossible to say because we're going to see the future that we see as a result of this and not the future that would have been. But my, my guess is that the, the shift towards more working from home probably would have played out over some period, probably much more than 10 years. And I think we're seeing a jolt that accelerates things in that direction. Uh, whether that jolt brings about a future that wouldn't have been otherwise is, is, um, is just impossible to say. Yeah, it, when, I, when I put these show notes together, I'm going to find the, there was an interview with Basecamp. I think it was Jason Freed uh, with Basecamp a couple months ago. <clears throat> and he was you know, well before any of this. And he went through the conversation that they had of having their, their big space, I think, in, in downtown Chicago. And they moved away from, I'm making this up, 30,000 square feet where they had their whole team come in when they realized, huh, we have like nine or 10 people coming in here regularly. And so they shifted away from big space to a smaller, more efficient space with access to a a big forum where they could rent out for team meetings or what have you. So I think think it's, you know, we are seeing an a rapid acceleration for what uh, has already been, been going on. And I think that you know that might be one of those, you know, as we were talking about earlier, one of those silver linings. I mean, what would you say? I mean, would you mind sharing some of the the previous pandemics' you know, benefits, if you will, silver linings, and what we might see coming out of this one? Well, I I, I think you're right in the sense that um, companies have been looking for ways of not needing to spend as much in real estate. And, and being more flexible around it. That's kind of the, the rise of WeWork and, and shared workspaces. And, and they've also been able to capitalize on the fact that all we really need nowadays to work is a laptop and, and maybe a headset. Whereas in the past, we needed you know, all our books and our files and our stuff. And that's let us move from having offices for each individual to the, to the shared office space that 
half of us despise and half of us love. Uh, and I think shifting to some greater degree of working from home is an extension of that. Um, whether that's a pro or a con in terms of, of people's preferences and, and how they experience life, you know, there's, there's probably a mix of both, just like uh, the open shared space had a mix of both. I, I think to the rest of your question, when you look at past pandemics, a lot of the advances that we see in terms of uh, health infrastructure, having having sewer lines, having water in every home, um, that, that's not something that was always uh, there for people. It's an invention um, that came about somewhere in the late 19th century, early early 20th, um, in, in terms of how it was uh, disseminated. And it, it was definitely linked to, to different pandemics um, and epidemics that, that people experienced. And I think there could be effects um, that we see coming out of this pandemic. I, I don't know whether in 30 years' time we'll be monitoring people's temperatures when they walk into a building. We might. My, my, my guess is that we'll see something uh, attached to our, to our wrists or, or some other part of our body that, that reports our, our health status into some bigger system. But, you know, my, I, this is not what I do for a living. I, right. I'm not the right person to guess. My, my only real guess is that there will be something that results of this that right. sticks in terms of monitoring our health. Well, I mean, it's like when I tell my, when I tell my clients, as I was telling one this morning, she was asking, you know, what, what is the market going to do going forward? And I listed three options. And then the fourth one was me basically throwing my hands in the air saying, I have no idea because I think that we're not going to, we're not, I've said this for 15 years. We're not going to know what the market is doing today until we have the benefit of 18 months of hindsight. Um, all we're doing is guessing going forward. Yeah. I, I, I think that's right. Sorry, I, I cut you off, Keith. No, no, no. I was just going to say, it's just interesting, you, you know, talking about like some version of a whoop strap that provides, you know, access to a general health algorithm for every worker in a building. You know, I told told Jim this morning, I actually had a talk with a locksmith about putting in a system that would allow us to do contact tracing for all of our agents as they're, you know, who's using our office on any given day so that if somebody does report an illness, we can go back and see who they had contacted with in our environment. And I think, you know, that is, obviously that has been available for people for a long time, but we haven't had a need for it, right? And suddenly that need has now accelerated the the usefulness of, of available technologies. And um, I don't know that we'll go forward with it or not. I haven't received any price quotes yet. So we'll, you know, hold back on all of that. But, you know, the fact that we're even thinking that way, we're thinking about how to change the monitoring and the usefulness of our own, you know, real estate asset and, and what that that piece is. It's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting take. And I think the number of people who are looking at home office, um, you know, expansions, renovations, conversions within their within their residences. Um, there was an article we read recently um, that was that was posted this past week about one of the newest needs within um, some of the cities is a Peloton room that people are wanting to have their healthcare or their health um, equipment closer to them instead of having to go to gyms and, and other places. So it's you know it's just fascinating the way we're very rapidly rethinking the use of of our biggest asset um, from a corporate and and residential standpoint. And I I, I can't help but think you know if people aren't suddenly able to pay more. Um, for adding another room to the house, the one way of doing that is giving up something in terms of location, which which brings me back to that, um, you know, empowering of sprawl. Right. Yeah. Well, and and honestly, if you have if you have grocery delivery, and you have less commute time that's required, but you now have in your home a home office and a home gym, 
you may well have you know created this this new balance the the algorithm in your mind just simply works differently about what's important and what's not um so it is it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that that plays out yeah um you know Issy, one thing just um kind of to to close on all this you know this is is sweat the details and um you are are looking at you know we've talked about just a few factors that you're looking at of of lots of economic studies every day and for your clients what are the, what's that one detail that you have been sweating that you are looking at on a regular basis just wondering where is this focused or or what should you and your job be focused on on a daily basis and i'll i'll leave that kind of open-ended but um love to hear your thoughts well i'll i'll, I'll just tell you that this this exercise of thinking through what the last two months mean for us going forward is actually straying away from what I normally do in my day to day. This is very speculative. It's it's fair to guess, and I'm open about not knowing and just putting putting thoughts out there. But my day to day work usually involves analyzing data that is backward looking, or or at least um, even if it's recent, it's 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 uh, it's backward looking, and that means that the statements I make have to be very carefully calibrated and uh, need to be accurate. I need to hedge my words so that I'm not saying something that is that is wrong. Um, and, and rigor is a keyword. So um, that's where my attention is usually focused. Fascinating. Um, well, I, I have to say, Izzy, it's, um, you know, this has been a, a compelling conversation for me. It's, it's, it's opened up more ideas. I've got a uh, whole lot of new, new conversations and discussions and things to write about as we go forward. Um, but it's been uh, enlightening for me, and I really appreciate you making the time to, to spend with, with, uh, with us on the podcast. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I, I love conversations like this because I just love hearing, and I understand that you are not typically a speculative person in terms of the projective kind of thought of of where this leads. But I, but I love having kind of this real time conversation of here's what's been happening and here's where what it might mean for us. So it'll, it'll be interesting to listen back to this in five years. <laughs> I, honestly, it'll be interesting in one week. <laughs> so exactly. But awesome. Issy, thanks so much for the time. My pleasure. Have a great day. Thanks. Take care. Oh, he just went away. All right. Um, you know what, Jim? Let's just. Is he got off very quickly? Normally, we have a couple of minutes to to say goodbye after we hit the record stop button, but now it's just right. just us captured. I I, I want to just go straight into if you've got if you got a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't the most uplifting. Um, you know. Piece. I mean, to, to start, and I know you're you're the one who led it with. Are we in a recession or a depression? But um, what does this what does this mean for a typical residential? Let's let's start with you are a homeowner and you had not planned on changing anything in your life and moving forward. Do you think anything that we're talking about here changes any of that? Um, I mean, I, I think first, no. I mean, I think that if you're if you if you have a job and you're and you're getting transferred from you know, Wilmington, North Carolina to Atlanta, and that job transfer is happening anyway, you're still going to do what you need to do. I think that right. there re recession, depression, what have you, people still need to move. They still need to work. They still need to do what they need to do. Um, I think that for those who are looking more discretionary moves, um, they're going to sock cash away if they can and hunker down for one, two, five, ten 10 years. Um, I think that it's, it's, I mean, he touched on a lot of stuff. I mean, I think that the, the college town aspect is one that you know I've been paying more attention to, as I'm sure you have. Um, you know, I think that that's going to shift the landscape for a lot of 
uh, well, certainly for Charlottesville uh, and for a lot of our markets as well, um, which is, you know, I, I had a conversation with a, another client this morning who talked about how now that you really don't have for, you know, for all the reasons, uh, you, you're not going to have foreign nationals coming to, to UVA or to other colleges from a trade war perspective and a pandemic perspective, you're having this, you know, this, this line of revenue shut down. That's going to have an impact both on financial components of the, of the university, as well as perhaps quality of a student, yeah. which can be a good thing. If you go more in state, you're going to have a rising education level of, of, of our kids and a generational shift, hopefully. Yeah. And I, w- uh, I would say that from the board of visitors for the university, they would say that they love having the, uh, export of of education to other countries it's yeah. far more for our economy to have have full paying um students from from other areas but i will say i mean charlottesville you know you look at the nest footprint um charlottesville asheville um raleigh durham um atlanta to a lesser extent but still certainly mm-hmm. has impact um we're we're college towns right i right. mean we are the university of virginia clearly is is not just the largest employer in Charlottesville. It is the economic driver of everything that takes place in Albemarle County. Um, Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill has got NC State and Duke and Carolina. And and obviously, that's a huge, huge part of driver. And so not knowing what's coming in the fall, looking at what Cal State system has already said, that they're going to hold off on bringing the kids back to campus, looking at the NCAA saying, we're trying to yeah, the the students are being allowed back on campus right now for uh, strength and conditioning within the athletic arena, and that they need to be there for ninety days before the first game day for for football and soccer. Um, we're watching the towns that are are really a part of of our footprint, looking forward, saying, "What is the next year, two years, five years?" And this is, I think, when you look at some of the rural areas, um, the smaller private colleges around Virginia, North Carolina. Um, these are, again, they may be smaller than the University of Virginia's, but they are even larger as a percentage of what the driving force of those economies are. Um, and we're all staring at it. It's gonna. This is gonna be a major impact for for all of our all of our communities. It doesn't. We've been insulated. I think everybody likes to think that we're completely insulated in these markets, and we're not. But. Um, I I think now it's it's going to be it's it's the big fear factor, right? It's where where are we going to be in the fall? Where are we going to be in in January? Well, I mean, I, I will I, regardless of market, I'm going to continue to tell my clients and our agents that you know to make decisions based on the best, most relevant information in front of you at that time. You right. Make the best life decision you possibly can, you know, and hopefully it's the right one. But there's again, you're not going to know whether it's the right decision until you have hindsight. But I'll put you on the spot for a second, and and um. In 60 seconds or less, what would you tell our agents? Um, it's not just what would I tell our agents, what am I telling our agents? I mean, yeah. I think this is, you know, I get the call every day, where are we? What do you think? And and I have been kind of in the seat of, of being the person who gets to hypothesize about what the market is. Um, you know, the fascinating thing, Jim, is that when you look at – Obviously, go back to you know macro 101, it's supply and demand, right? And mm-hmm. I think the blessing that we have is that supply has been so under 
served over the last right. few years, which has meant that we really have a demand that is still eating up any supply we can provide it. Um, in in almost every market that we're looking at, the number of listings, the new listings that are coming on are dramatically lower than in past years. However, the number of new contracts being written, while it is down, still exceeds the number of new listings that are coming on the market. I mean, we still, we, we may be down 30% in some area, some of our markets in terms of the number of, of new listing opportunities to purchase, but our buyers are not shrinking by the same number because there are so many lined up that have been wanting to, to purchase a home. So I think, again, this comes back to we've lost 30 million jobs, and that is a lot of buyers that are no longer in the marketplace. Right. Um, I do think the, you know, not to talk, we talk about the HG effect, HGTV effect with listings and the beautification of staging and, and what we do. I think I think the bigger HGTV shows that are now are like the love it or list it is, is the mentality of what I think more and more of our agents are going to see when they go to list a property is, do I make the move to something different or do I do I repurpose the home where I am? Yeah. Uh, looking at home offices, looking at home gyms, looking at home theaters or whatever spaces. Um, I think that's that's the big question. I think for our agents, though, listings are, are are key. There are not enough properties on the market in most of our most of our you know footprint, um, but the buyers are still there. And as long as as long as we haven't yet tapped out those buyers, we're going to continue seeing the real estate market move. Um, it's but it is a tough it's a tough long term question. So I will say the one thing I'm, that I'm looking forward to in the next few you know eighteen months is seeing how localities respond to requests for repurposing space. Because I think that's going to be in our market in particular, it's going to be a, a means by which to try to, to get affordable housing, not, not solved, but add to that supply Absolutely. in areas that are not not auto centric destinations. We could see a, re a real reshifting of you know, of demographics and population base. That's going to be exciting to watch. Um, maybe painful in some some regards, but also really exciting in the long term yeah. to see how how we how we come out of it. Yeah. So, um, you know what, Jim? This is this has been awesome. I appreciate uh, appreciate setting that up with Issy. This has been a great conversation, and I'm just gonna gonna close this out to all the listeners who are are still with us right now. Thanks a ton for sticking with us on Sweat the Details today and and hearing this out. We're gonna try and get this posted hopefully within about 48 hours of our recording it. Um, if it might be out, it might be out of date. It, it could be, but <laughs> if you've got any other requests, thoughts, uh, recommendations, give us a, shoot us a, an email to sweat the details at nestrealty.com. And you can either just send us a, a quick email or hit a voice record on your iPhone and forward that to us. Um, we would love to have any reviews we can on iTunes, Sketcher, and um, Overcast, wherever you listen to your iPods. Thanks a ton and have a great week. Thanks.